Well, hi there, and welcome to Consortio Day, a podcast about partnering with God to do sacred work. My name is John Chandler, and I'm a spiritual director, and this podcast is a companion to my practice where I mostly focus on working with people who are in uh, different positions of leadership in faith-based nonprofits or churches or just authors, therapists, other people just doing work that they consider to be sacred and how uh, I can walk alongside them as they learn how to be more attentive to how the Spirit is leading them in their personal life and in their work. And so that's what these conversations are about in this podcast as well, as I interview people who are people I respect, certainly, but people who are in positions much like those who I do spiritual direction with. My guest today is Lisa Rodriguez-Watson, and Lisa is the National Director of the Missio Alliance and the Associate Pastor of Discipleship and Equipping at Christ City Church in Washington, D.C. So just perfect person to interview for a podcast like this. Really appreciate hearing her heart, really appreciate hearing her voice, both for um, larger theological implications of the work that the church is doing in North America and around the world today, but she also combines that with her own passion to be involved in her local church at levels of formation um, across both. Uh, One thing coming up, well, a couple things coming up. This past week, I just finished my first practicing examine cohort and really enjoyed doing that. And I think um, have a blueprint for something that we'll be able to continue doing. Of course, there will be some improvements and some tweaks, but I'm going to be offering that again. And I think it's we'll start registration in January and then that cohort will be available uh, starting in February. And then likewise, I have in the works another small cohort that I'm going to start next spring called Practicing Sabbath. So both of those will be available soon on my website. You can go to formationcohorts.com, and it'll take you directly to the page where information for those will be showing up soon. It's not quite up there yet, but you can sign up on the mailing list there to be notified when that happens. But again, my heart for those is really uh, helping people in any walk of life, whether it's somebody who's in some kind of uh, sacred work, as I say, or some kind of vocational church ministry, or or really anyone who just has a longing to develop habits, develop practices that cultivate their heart, their spirit, uh, their interior life. A lot of us are familiar with those and interested in them, but we've never really had a lot of coaching and a lot of guidance in how to do practices like that. And so that's the heart for these cohorts, is to walk alongside others. I certainly don't come to them as the wizard or expert guide so much as just another one who's done a lot of study and a lot of work on my own to try to understand and and include these practices in my life. And so I facilitate these conversations, but we also learn from one another as we go. So if that sounds appealing to you to be part of just a small group who are learning about some practices but also encouraging one another and how to practice them over a few months together, then I encourage you, uh, I would love to have you be part of that. So again, that's at formationcohorts.com, and I'll be starting registration for those sometime later here in December or early in January. So thanks so much for for hearing all that. Here is my conversation with Lisa Rodriguez-Watson. You know, you asked me about that. Tell tell us about the context of your sacred work Mm -hmm. and... I use that language just because I try to focus in spiritual direction on, I, I end up talking a lot about vocation, but I try to focus on people as a vocation of sacred work. And sometimes that might be ministry right. in a church setting or in a nonprofit, but sometimes it's 
you know, totally different things. It's creative work. So I, I like it that it's a little bit broader of a topic. That's why yeah. I use that language. Sure. Great. But that being the case, um, tell us about the context of your sacred work. What do you, what's your vocation? What do you do? Yeah, thanks. I, um, I'm by title and role, the national director of Missile Alliance. Um, and our work is to help reshape the church's witness in the world. We, um, invite Christian leaders into generative, expansive intercultural networks to help them think theologically um, and holistically around faith and practice. Uh, so I get to lead a wonderful team of folks and um, we all get to do the work of helping our audience and folks who feel connected to us through um, conferences and webinars and articles and all of that. Um, connected to what what should the church be in this day, and how yeah. do we address some of the most challenging issues that are that are facing, um, particularly the church in North America, but beyond that, for me, it's um, how do we as the North American church um, understand our place in the global church and uh, and take a learning posture um, because so much of what we lack as North American Christians, I think, is the gift that the global church has to give to us. Yeah. 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 So that's one aspect. I also am the associate pastor of discipleship and equipping at Christ City Church um, here in Washington, D.C. So it's a good thing we're talking about spiritual formation then, since you do that for a whole community of people. Right. Right. But and, I mean, you know, the church I used to be, the church that I started previously was part of Missio Alliance and Ecclesia Network, you know, which right. is connected within that. So yeah. I, I also know that there's a, pretty strong emphasis on spiritual formation within what the work Missio Alliance does. And it seems like that's only continued. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I came in or shortly after having come in really gained this conviction that if we are going to be about the work of reshaping the church's witness in the world, that, that the church actually has to dig super deep on three things, um, formation, justice, and mission. Yeah. Uh, and I do believe that if, if our communities were able to really have a robust theology and practice on those three things, boy, mm -hmm. it, it would it would be a new day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I'm not sure that there's an order to them, nope. but it sure feels like too often there's attempts to do justice or mission without formation. It feels like formation. I, I have bias here, but sure, it feels like sure. formation is the piece that often gets overlooked. In fact, um, I, I would think that you're right. If we don't have the formation piece, so if there is an order, I would agree that it, it needs to be formation first. And then as we come out of those things, then the justice and the mission be become the outflow of, of yeah. what is formed in us. Um, but I don't think that we can only do formation and not mission and justice. I sure. think that's problematic as well. Sure. Yeah, and I think if formation is not, showing in some way leading to justice and mission, it's probably stunted formation in some yes. way. <laughs> right, right. It's some kind of shoegazing formation that is mm -hmm. uh, not not quite what we would see throughout scriptures, I don't think. Yeah. Precisely. So tell us, you know, then, well, let me talk a little bit more about Missio briefly. I'd love to talk a little bit about the church too, but sure. just for those who aren't familiar, you know, you gave the broad overview of what Missio does, you know, almost from a, a purpose statement standpoint or vision mm -hmm. statement, but practically speaking, what does that look like? Yeah. Wow. Um, so we, we actually curate content. Um, 
whether it's in our webinars or um, writing collectives or podcasters, we ourselves, like my me and my team, we don't necessarily generate much content. We don't write many articles or, or that sort of thing. But we do curate um, voices uh, who we think are really important in the church. We're yeah. talking about those really critical um, topics. And uh, and we elevate those voices. Um, and that, that feels like the important work that we do is to say, okay, you know, who are the theological practitioners? Who's doing theological reflection around formation, around justice, around mission, around the integration of those things? And how do we elevate their voices so that um, folks can connect with the the kind of redemptive narrative that that the church really needs? Um, and again, it can it can be in a number of channels. We um, not everybody's going to listen to a podcast. Not everybody's going to read an sure. article. Um, and so, sort of the multi-dimensional approach to how to have those conversations, if you will, some are more conversational than others, but to curate the space to, um, to have those conversations. And then we do also have online gatherings and person gatherings. Mm -hmm. And that's where really, um, you know, it becomes less about information and about transformation by way of experience. And I think yeah. that that for me was another thing that I just thought, man, like driving content and generating content is so important because that's where the light bulb moments do tend to begin for folks. Um, however, just more and more and more and more and more information doesn't yeah, necessarily yeah. lead to transformation. And so we have to intersect that spectrum with an experience and give folks an opportunity to share space, to share stories, to engage with something that's not intangible, if you will, on the internet, because it's so easy to just, dismiss it's so easy to um either like on the one hand just overly accept and to quickly accept something or to reject it too quickly if it doesn't fit within you know our framework so that opportunity to create a space where folks can actually engage with one another um in person in those conversations is really important for us yeah for sure and you mentioned events and there's even, I don't know if you mentioned, but there's even cohorts, right? And that's, we're partnering with others that are doing cohorts. I feel like uh, I've yeah, seen some of that's that right. been newer yep. stuff. Yeah. And those are actually church formational cohorts. And so we're, we're privileged to um, have the opportunity to partner um, with a thriving, um, thriving congregations grant. And our partners are, we're really trying to help congregations think about what is what is church formation and how do we, yeah. um, how do we form churches in communities? So theology in place, but from a formational perspective. So yeah, I, I really love that aspect of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big, I mean, I feel like if there's one um, positive thing that came out of all of the zoom calls that we did during COVID, yeah. you know, well, two positive things. One, we realized we really need human interaction uh, in person, yeah. mm -hmm. but we also realized there actually is some benefit to doing human interaction remote with like-minded people to wrestle with mm -hmm. some things. So, mm -hmm. yeah. so this, this seems like such an obvious question, um, but I find it's really helpful to ask it anyway, which yeah. is what role then does partnering with God play in your work? Like what make, what makes 
what makes some kind of divine connection really, yeah. you know, um, so relevant to your day-to-day work that you do? Hmm. Such a good question. I, I think of it from a high level, um, from a high level perspective, how we came to reshaping the church's witness in the world had so much to do with the timing, for example, the timing of when we were doing our strategic plan back in 2021. And so right on the cusp of just really getting into the crux of those planning days and the strategy days and all of that. Um, I live in, I should say (laughs) for context, I, I live a mile from the Capitol um, in Washington, DC. So my neighborhood is called Hill East. And um, that gives some frame of reference for how close I am to the Hill. And as we were preparing every single day, more and more thought into what these strategy days are going to be like, January 6th happened. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and it gave me a lot of clarity around what God is doing in the world. What, what, what are some of these disruptions and the exposures that are happening within, um, Christendom here in North America and what really Missio Alliance needs to focus on for this next season? Um, and I, and I, I felt like, wow, I, I, that was just a treacherous day for all of us. Um, but sitting in this seat, um, in this role, that gave me a lot of clarity. Um, and it gave me the opportunity to go, I see you, God, I see where you're working. Like I can, I can, um, use what I've seen today from my, you know, front porch and, and office here in Hill East to help engage around some of the, the really critical issues that the church is facing. Yeah. So that's one example. I think the other thing um, that comes to mind for me is partnering with God more in the, in the day-to-day. Um, yeah. So real high yeah. level, but also really, really in the day-to-day um, and just being aware of how the Spirit wants to use um, me as a leader in this role to create space for my team. So I'll just give you a quick example. Um, over the weekend, um, there was a mass shooting in Colorado Springs sure. um, at an LGBTQ bar. And one of my teammates lives in Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. And so part of what it meant for me to partner with what God is doing is to create space in our team meeting on Monday morning to be silent, to create space for lament, to give opportunity for processing. Um, Because that's, I think that's a way that God wants to care for um, that particular person on our team. Um, And so that was, that was how I partnered with God on Monday. Yeah. And so, I mean, it almost sounds like you see your role, you know, I know in some larger faith-based nonprofits now, they even have somebody who oversees like pastoral care, spiritual formation for the staff of those. Sounds like you almost see that as part of your role, even as Mm -hmm. leader of the team. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then talk a little bit then about your, um, your role on the church too, like to maybe tell a little bit more about the church. Obviously it's in DC or I hope it's in DC and it you're is, not commuting. Yeah. To- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's in DC um, about a mile from my house and uh, we're a, a fairly small congregation that's um, rooted in neighborhood. Uh, we, we have used language um, 
like we're um, chaplains to our community with the understanding that not everybody's going to come to our church on a Sunday morning, our Sunday sure. service. Um, but that doesn't make it any less our community to chaplain. Um, so we meet in a school, an elementary school, and um, we see that as a vehicle for really being able to engage folks who are not part of our congregation officially, but who understand that our church is a resource for the community. Um, and it has been a really long-standing and beautiful partnership. Folks know our church by the name of the elementary school. They're like, oh yeah, you guys are the, you know, minor right. church. Um, and, and that's because we meet at minor elementary. Um, and so they attribute, they make this very close association, um, because it, it's not just space that we rent. It's, it's a relationship that we continue to cultivate, um, for kingdom purposes, knowing that as we, um, as we live out our faith, we, we're doing justice in, in a very, very difficult context in terms of school dynamics, um, you know, leadership transition after leadership transition, the neighborhood is gentrifying. How do we, mm. how do we, um, create space and set tables for the newcomers into the neighborhood as well as folks who have been there for a long time? Everybody at the table actually creates a better outcome for everyone than either um, simply old, you know, like old established neighbors or just brand new neighbors. We, we really work hard at, um, making sure that everybody has a seat as much yeah. as it's up to us. Yeah. I, I love how easy it is for me to ask you a broad question and you give a very thought out answer. Like I can tell how much passion you have about these things. So mm. you're, you're making my job really easy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I'm noting that, you lead an organization with national, national and now international, you know, um, footprint. Yeah. You're, you have a role. Well, and, and a key emphasis of that organization is spiritual formation. And you have a role as discipleship in a local church community. Mm. Um, I know you're a wife. Yes. I know that right before we started, you emailed me and said, I might be a couple minutes late. I have to pick up the kids from school. Right. So there's a lot going on. Yeah. So a lot going on. What, what is, what does it look like for you in the midst of all this thing, these things, you know, as a spiritual director, I even recently have had meetings with people who are like, I'm involved in all these things and it's hard to sustain my own health, my own spiritual sure. formation. Right. So I'm, yeah. I'd love to talk about what does that look like for you? Like, how can you stay, connected vocationally to partnering with God out of the, your own personal life and your own personal rhythms. Yeah. I think one of the things I've had to learn the hard way a number of times is that I can't just go all the time. I, I mean, I, yeah. that is part of like how I'm wired. Yeah. And so I've had to learn and, and the Lord really was so crystal clear with me, you know, in college and at different you know, at different points throughout my walk um, with the Lord in ministry, but it it's it's not just about how much I can accomplish or about just doing the next thing or you know continuing to add to my schedule. And I feel like I've gained part of this is how I'm wired, but also it is is life and wisdom that the Lord has given me. I've gained an understanding that. Um, I work from rest. Mm. I, um, so, so rest has to be centered. 
I need physical exercise in order to be healthy. Yeah. I have to have um, like time of, of centering prayer or imaginative prayer, time and devotion in the word, that sort of thing, as well as a spiritual practice throughout the day um, that gives me space to really not just think about the next thing that has to get done, but allows me to hear from the Lord, I'm beloved, doesn't matter what I do. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that's still a growing process for me, but sure, I think sure. seeing myself as integrated and creating space in my schedule for the things that don't have anything to do with my inbox, with, you know, with the next sermon that I'm writing or the next thing that I'm, you know, the next meeting that I have, like who, who Lisa is coming into that and the space that I can create for the other areas of my life that don't connect to product and output from, from a vocational standpoint actually helps me be more fruitful and helps me be more faithful. So I feel like that's, you know, that's what I've learned in the last couple of decades of, of life and ministry vocation is, um, if I don't make time to be with Jesus and to listen, um, and if I don't make time to exercise and to, um, you know, to, to actually um, invest in and be invested in yeah. um, relationships that are flourishing and that are, that are really um, life-giving to me, then I then I, then I'm the lesser for it. Like, you know, like those things are, are really do matter. Um, not just for productivity, but for, for my whole flourishing. Yeah. Um, I also do, since we've been talking about spiritual direction, I, I also do, um, meet with a spiritual director on a, on a regular basis. And that has been super helpful. Hmm. Um, because as I, you know, as I navigate even like increasingly difficult <laughs> dynamics yeah, across a yeah. number of spaces, um, spiritual, my spiritual director has really helped, um, helped me to see, um, and helped walk me through some of the like deeper, um, the deeper parts of my soul and my journey and what the Lord is inviting me into. Yeah. How did you, I, I'm curious what, what um, church tradition did you come out of? Like, was spiritual direction something that was part of that or something no. that you learned about later? What did it look I, like? I definitely learned about it later. Um, and uh, it, one of, it, I think I, it came to like a, okay, well, we're going to do this. Um, when one of my board members said, every single national leader, every leader at a national level needs to be involved in spiritual direction. That is I like this board that, member. <laughs> that is something that we as the board have to support and um, and ensure that Lisa is receiving. Yeah. And so That's I was great. like, okay, great. I've been thinking about it. Now I'm just going to say yes. Yeah, that's great. I, one other thing, I, I'm probably going to end up talking about this on every podcast um, because I, I, I've just become so passionate about it. But I was reading a collection of essays published probably 30 years ago by Basil Pennington and Thomas Keating about mm -hmm. centering prayer. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. one of the things Thomas Keating said in there, you know, and again, this is 30, maybe even 40 years ago, might've been published in the eighties. 
But he said that so many people in our congregations are longing for some deeper form of prayer and they're turning to their, I think he said priests because, you know, mm-hmm. the Catholic nature of the book, but, mm-hmm. and they're, but basically saying, you know, their shepherds don't know how to offer it to them yeah. because they don't have that experience in itself. And so I love that there is, you know, and that's why I'm doing spiritual direction, but I love that there is a voice that's speaking into your life. And I love now that in the role that you are in, you know, there is almost an insistence or an expectation of, yes. you know, how can we, how can we form communities? How can we lead others when, uh, and certainly how can we teach others when we don't have these experiences ourselves? So mm-hmm. I love that you're leaning in. Mm-hmm. And I love that you said the word, <laughs> big transition here. It's not really yeah. just a, a callback. I love that you said the word integrated yeah. because I don't know if you realize you said the word integrated. It seemed seemed pretty intentional, but, you know, talking about your practices, because mm-hmm. I feel like we miss that a lot, you know, and one of my fears about having a conversation like this is we just see our spiritual practices as a segmented thing, but you use the word integrated because, you know, and, and you went pretty quickly even to exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think there's something really healthy and helpful in that way. So, all that to say, you know, I'm curious then with your, with, do, do you see some of your practices as being, even in light of that integrated language, as being a segmented structured time that you have to do mm-hmm. every morning or every afternoon at such and such a time and regimented? Or do you find that it's because of that, it's much easier for you to kind of, I don't know, flow in and out of them in some way? I'm not sure. It's a good question. I think <clears throat> the way that it works for me is there There are daily practices. With regard to exercise, um, so my daily practices are my prayer practices and devotional yeah. practices. Um, uh, and then my physical um, practices are more like three times a week. Like I'll have a goal to exercise three times a week. And Uh, And so it's not every day, but I'm looking across, you know, the period of seven days and really trying to make sure that that makes its way in. It doesn't always happen, but it, it, but it is, it is something that is a commitment for me. Um, And I was, I, I was introduced, this is kind of tangential to what you're asking, um, but I was introduced to a tool by uh, one of the pastors at our church uh, that has really helped me understand uh, what this can look like and how to structure. It's almost like a, a rule of life, hmm. uh, but it's it's called Spires. And um, the pastor who created it, his name is Justin Fung. Uh, and it's five, hmm. yeah, five elements. Um, it's spiritual, so that's the S, physical, the P, intellectual, relational, emotional, and service. Uh, and so... About once a year, sort of at the beginning of a new year, I'll sort of do a take inventory, you know, yeah. where did, where did, uh, where did I see growth? How and why? Where did I hope that these things would have happened, but then they didn't? And, how, you know, for what reasons? And then I just say, I think, Lord, this is what you're inviting me into over the course of the next year and, and put some things down in my, it's called a spires plan. Yeah. in my spires plan and um and reference it it's not something you know it's not something i look at even every month but it is something that i have as an intention uh for the course of of a year and 
that has been super helpful for me because because of that, like we are whole people, we're integrated people. It's not just these like very separate systems within our being, um, but but God has made us um, whole beings. So I that's that's how I think about it. Is I have my daily practices, I have my weekly practices, and then I have more like quarterly practices, and then an annual practice. Um, that help keep me um, steady and yeah. rooted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. It's great to have that. I mean, I do something similar, not not that intentional, but it's amazing to me how helpful it is to say, like, this is going to be my theme or my primary expressions right. of, you know, health this year mm-hmm. and to put some practical, uh, you know, some practical goals or practical steps alongside them, how, how helpful that is to be able to do that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, I see those boxing gloves hanging behind you. I'd like to imagine those are one of your physical, um, <laughs> spiritual formation exercises. That's so funny. Um, uh, no, uh, we do, <laughs> but it's not that it's it's not a part of our family because my husband loves to box, and it, we have a little garage, and that's where I work out is in the garage, and we have a heavy bag in the garage. So if I was into boxing, I would be able to allow that to be part of my practice. <laughs> However, that's just not my style. <laughs> All right. Well, fair enough. I just, you know, I was hopeful. Sure. <laughs> I mean, Matthew kind of looks like a boxer, so. I could... He loves it. Watches it every single <laughs> I wouldn't want to box him. That's for no, sure. No, no. <laughs> um, so, I mean, as on that note, you know, I'm curious, do you have hobby, like, again, alongside all these other things, you have a, you have a lot going and, you know, you live in DC, which is have a lot going kind of culture anyway. For sure. But I'm curious if you have, and this has come up in some recent interviews, how important hobbies are. And I'm wondering if you've found that you have hobbies that help keep you healthy, yeah. <laughs> emotionally healthy. Or Very good. Um, I, well, exercise is, is part sure. of my hobby. Um, sure. and, and so I, it is a regular part of what I do. Earlier in the year, um, I signed up for a 10-mile race. And so that you know, it's like, like the way that I motivate myself is just sign up for a race <laughs> because you're, you're inevitably going to run it. And I, I'm not so silly as to think I'm going to run 10 miles without training. Um, so it's kind of a way to set a goal in advance and something to work towards. Uh, and so that was, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a runner, but I also think, but I'm not, not a runner. Um, it's, it's a way that I can, I can enjoy being outside, um, enjoy relationships, kind of get out of the computer screen land outside, you know, and run and process, process. I think, I think a lot when I run, I think a lot when I exercise, it's, it's a good way for me to process, not just like the cortisol that builds up in my body from the stress during the day, but also some of the things that, you know, don't come to mind when I'm trying to crank it out at a keyboard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So exercise is one of those things. You know, I, I'm just going to say this for fun because this is true about me. I love to thrift store shop. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a big shopper, like generally speaking. Um, but if I'm going to go to do something fun, I'll enjoy just running around to a thrift store and um, hanging out. I'll take my kids or I'll go with some friends and just see what's, you know, see what's around. Yeah. And uh, I don't I probably ask myself why that brings me so much delight. Um, but that is another sort of fun thing to do. I, I love to be outdoors in nature. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, if I've got time on a weekend, I'm probably thinking about how can I get near the water? How can I have a new adventure in a place I've never been? You know, those are the kinds of things that bring me life, bring me joy and, and energy is, is to, to be outside to, and I notice, I don't think this is unique to me, but but I appreciate this about how I was raised and who I've become. I notice beauty like a lot. And, yeah. and, um, and that's a gift that, uh, that God has given me, I think, is I can look around and just look around and name beauty and attribute that to, um, to our creator. Uh, so that's, that's something else I enjoy doing. Yeah. I, I do not love to thrift store shop. Um, like when I go in, I'm afraid to touch anything. <laughs> so reveal a little about myself there right. probably, but, um, but you know, no judgment. I think the, I think, you know, the value of anything like that to get out in nature, thrift store shop, whatever it is, any, any mm-hmm. anything that you can do that maybe just takes you away from the reality of what you're doing the rest of the time. Like anything that can engage you enough, I think is so healthy. Right. Yeah. I don't imagine whether you're out in a beautiful place near the water or in a thrift store, if there's enough in front of you to disengage you from all of the cortisol building (laughs) items in your life, that's a really good thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious because you're in a, and I'm going to, this is a little bit of a tweak of the questions I sent you before, but Mm -hmm. I'm curious what it looks like for you to be vulnerable as a leader with your team, but also still be the leader. Um, and I ask you this question a little bit because I think I think women who are in leadership have a better handle on this than men who are in leadership, but I mm. think none of us have it figured out fully. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm curious what does it look like for you to lead from a place that maintains your position and right. also allows you to be a, a human part of the team? Mm. Yeah. One of the ways that that this happens is we, we have a weekly team meeting, um, and the first ten, ten minutes, maybe we have a small team, so this doesn't take very long. But the first ten, ten to fifteen minutes is just a check in. It's just a check in mm, time, and yeah. it's a it's a way for us to connect with one another before we get to all the tasks that have to be done, and. During the check-ins, um, that's my that's my opportunity to one show up vulnerably and sure. to um, to not just lead a team but be part of a team, um, but also to lay the foundation for what I'm hopeful for um, in terms of how folks engage interpersonally with one another. And. <clears throat> My son, um, my oldest son, Nate, back in the spring had to have, this is just a, an example, had to have a fairly major surgery. We were going to be in the hospital for four days or so. Wow. Um, and, you know, from probably from February, the surgery was end of March. So probably from February to surgery date and post-surgery, um, I was always just giving updates to my team. Here's, you know, here's where we are. Mm. This is what's, you know, still waiting on. Here's, you know, here's how he's doing immediately post-surgery. Here's how he's doing. 
several weeks later. Um, when when issues like that arise within me, this is you know, and and that's not a hard thing to share. Sure. Um, but but that's the kind of thing that's like, well, you know, I and I tell this to my team. This is even this week um, as we were creating space uh, for for our teammate who lives in Colorado Springs. Um, I tell my team we're whole people and we come to this particular aspect of our lives as whole people. And so we have to, we have to make space for one another. One of them had direct messaged me on zoom and said, thank you for allowing us um, a time of silence and a time to lament. Um, she said, I, I've been in, I've been in work environments where it's essentially ignored. Some of the things that happen yeah. in public is yeah. essentially ignored and we're expected to just move on as if nothing has happened. And, and my response to her was absolutely, um, we, we come to this as whole people. And um, what, what happens in our personal lives impacts our work and what happens in our work impacts our personal lives. And uh, I'm always gonna wanna be committed to creating the space uh, to bring all of who we are. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, even even faith-based orgs and churches, sometimes those things aren't acknowledged, even right. in Sunday gatherings for churches. So, right. So, yeah. how? I mean, queuing off that question, mm -hmm. then how do you know when you're not doing well? <laughs> I don't sleep well. Yeah. I I wake up in the middle of the night. Um, I I feel like the feeling in my body is like when your engine is redlining, <laughs> like it's like, mm -hmm. and you, you know, that little, that needle is just almost all the way to the edge. It, it can feel like that in my body. Um, but I, I carry stress and, you know, sort of in the like shoulders and up in my yeah. body. And so I'll realize, Oh my gosh, my teeth were clenched all night. I have so much soreness in my shoulders um, I'm irritable. I get very irritable when I, when I'm not doing well. Um, those are some of the like flags for me, um, yeah. is whew, if all of those things are happening all at once, I know this is, this is a time to, um, slow down. Yeah. Yeah. And have you always had that level of awareness, even of how you carry it in your body or did you have to did that have to come with time mm. and wisdom? <laughs> yeah. I hadn't always understood it. Um, you know, I knew that I was like, I'm a t teeth grinder. I grind my teeth <laughs> when I'm sleeping. And I didn't understand why. I, and I'd ask, oh, well, you know, why am I, why do I grind my teeth? Is that like normal? What's going on? And what, I, what I've come to realize over time is it is a symptom for me of, of anxiety and not being able to have processed um, something that needs to be processed. Uh, so it's not something I've always known. Um, it's something that has been with me for a long time, but didn't have answers. Yeah. So uh, my final question has come to be my favorite question. I guess the whole thing's just built up to this, but yeah, okay, great. Who, who do you hope to be in 10 years? Oh my gosh, that's the hardest question. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I love it. <laughs> I love seeing the wheels turn. Oh, who do I hope to be? Um, hmm. Hmm. I hope to be someone that my kids 
look up to in faith mm-hmm. in 10 years. Uh, my kids are still all home, although we're, you know, transitioning one in a couple of years yeah. out of the house. Um, but when I think about what matters most in life, I think um, who the, the, the foundations and the formation that I'm doing in the next generation, most especially my kids, because um, they have a front view seat to their mom um, and to what faith looks like in Matthew and I. And I hope to be someone who they, they go, hmm, I see, I see how she lived out her faith. I understand that these, you know, these elements of who I am are important because God has made me this way and this is the work of God in the world. Um, so I, I could be a lot of things 10 years from now, but I would be most pleased if each of my kids as, as adults, will all of my kids be adults? Yeah. All of my kids will be adults (laughs) in 10 years. And if, if they were to come back and say, mom, you're one of the greatest shaping forces in my life for what God is doing in me and the world and through me and the world. Well, then I would think, hmm, that's, that's what I had hoped to be. Yeah, that's great. What, what, uh, what would you hope they see? What would you love to hear them say, Mom, I saw that you lived out your faith in X way? Mm-hmm. I would hope that they would see, um, as, a, as a leader who I haven't always imagined myself to be like the quintessential leader, Um, but as a leader, a person who, um, is humble and confident, who understands her Mm. calling, um, who, who walks with wisdom and grace in the world alongside folks who are both very familiar and growing in faith and those who are still trying to understand what faith in Jesus looks like, um, and, and I would want them to know that faithfulness to Jesus isn't just about what you do in the quiet of your devotional time, but it is also what you do um, when you go to work, when you engage in community meetings in your neighborhood, what you do when you're doing the work of justice, what you do when you're advocating for folks, what you do, like all of that is um is kingdom work and i would want them to see that i i engaged on all of those levels that i lived in a place and i knew my neighbors and i had my eyes set on the world but my feet planted on east street i would want them to see that my faith informed how i engaged around justice that my faith informed how i engaged around mission and that my faith was deeply, deeply rooted in, um, in spiritual practices. Yeah. That's really good. Thank you. So for, for someone who's curious to learn more about Missio or about your church or even things you're up to online, please share all the the links and such. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you can check us out, uh, Missio Alliance. Our web address is missioalliance.org. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Missio Alliance. And if you want to follow me, you're going to get a very 
<laughs> uncurated, very um, off and on presence. Um, but my handles, you know, I don't even really know my handles very well. I think it's Elrod Watson on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's what it is. I mean, Twitter might not even be around by the time we publish this. You know, that's a, that's a really <laughs> great point. That's a really, yeah, um, at Elrod Watson yeah. on, on Instagram. Awesome. Or Twitter, if or, it's there. Or Twitter, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for making the time. I know I had to cancel on you once, so I'm glad we were finally able to make this happen. And yeah. it was uh, exactly what I hoped it would be. Awesome. Well, thanks for the opportunity. It's great to have had this conversation with you and to just get to know you a bit. Yeah. Yeah.